There's a popular saying about Final Fantasy. It's not final. It goes on and on. But hey, we like it that way. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we're talking about the Final Fantasy series, which Jason has played since he exited the womb. Kirk and I have played a few of them, too. Every single one is different, so there's a lot to get to. Let's go! I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Jason Schreier. Hello! Before we get started... I just wanted to say <laughs> ba- yes. baby screams in the background. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you all know that you can contact us by emailing tripleclick at maximumfun.org. We've been hearing from lots of you and we always enjoy it. You can also find us on Twitter, TripleClickPod, and you can find our unofficial fan run Reddit at Reddit slash TripleClick, of course. Um, big thanks to everybody out there who's been spreading the word about the show, telling your friends. We love it when people tell their friends about the podcast. And big thanks to everyone who's become a member and supporting yeah. us. Is supporting us uh, uh, on MaximumFun.org, which you can do by going over there and hitting join and clicking off TripleClick. And thank you all so much for helping yeah. make the show happen um of course we will be having a final fantasy 7 remake beans cast um that is going to <laughs> is that go what it's called it's definitely called is a beans oh, yes. cast. Go, uh, that's the official name that's what we're <laughs> doing yes it's definitely called a beans cast here we it's go it's gonna go pretty soon i don't want to commit to an exact date because we don't know yet bing kirk here as i edit the episode i just wanted to note that we do know when the first triple click beans cast will run it's going to run this coming monday may 25th it'll run at the usual time very early and it's going to be in the maximum fun bonus feed which you get access to if you become a member even at the lowest tier so it won't be in this feed though two weeks after that it will so remember just for this very first beans cast we're going to put it in the main feed on june 8th the monday two weeks after the 25th when it first runs but if you are a member you will get to listen this coming monday so we hope you enjoy it we already recorded it it was pretty fun all right back to the show Bing. Um, but it will go to live to subscribers, and then two weeks after that, we're going to put it available for to everyone for free, as we have promised. Um, but future Beans casts will be subscribers only. Um, and with all that said, anything from you guys before we get started? Before we start talking about some video games? No, no. I, I, I'm I'm excited to hear more baby crying, though. I I can't wait for that. Okay. I should say I started my <laughs> new job this week. Uh, I'm now officially a reporter at Bloomberg. Yes, you did. How did it, How's it going so far? It's interesting. There's you you interface with everything using the Bloomberg terminal, and that has been uh, there's lots of orientation and lots of things that you have to learn. It's it's bizarre. Do you have to I'm, hack into the mainframe every time you <laughs> find out a piece of news. Yeah, you have to hack into the. It's kind of. I mean, you're typing in these commands like it's almost like Unix like. So it feels like you're hmm. a legitimate hacker getting into the mainframe. So yes, hack the planet. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's yes. funny. Um, it's funny to me that you both are starting new jobs at this moment when nobody yeah just on its own it's just funny that you both have jobs that anyone would employ you it's wild no it's it's funny that you're both starting new jobs at this moment when you can't go into the office to yeah like meet people and it's very strange i it's definitely the hardest well you would be remote anyway maddie i would be remote anyway but 
I definitely would have gone to New York right. and gone to the Polygon right, offices right. and met everyone there and yeah, actually seen true. them in person, but I can't do that. So I've been doing a lot of Zoom calls. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, same. It's it's a very strange process, just like video mm-hmm. orientations. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure our listeners know it's very. Yeah, draining. I mean, I guess it has its yeah. pros and Speaking cons. Speaking of so much to learn and pros and cons, Jason, what are we <laughs> what are we talking about today? <laughs> yeah, so today we are introducing yet another new segment. Um, um, and this segment is called "What's the Deal with?" Uh, <laughs> shout outs, shout outs to Jerry Seinfeld. Um, yeah. We are we are going to uh, whenever we whenever we do a "What's the Deal with?" We are going to dive into a certain question or subject and explain what the deal is with it. I guess it's kind of self-explanatory, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of kind of explains itself right there. Today's "What's the Deal with?" We are saying we are asking "What's the deal with?" Final Fantasy. So today we're going to talk about <laughs> we're going to talk about Final Fantasy uh, in honor of the Final Fantasy VII remake and the Beans cast. And a lot of people out there might be wondering, what's the deal with Final <laughs> Fantasy? <laughs> so we're going to tell you. How many times can we say that? We could it's say it still... so many more times than we already have if we really want. I know, to. I know. We can and we so will. Let's start off with a question. We'll eventually talk about like what Final Fantasy is and give kind of an overview of the series and all the different games in it. But why don't we start off with a question? Kirk and Maddie. Maddie, why don't we start with you? What is the first Final Fantasy game you ever played? And do you have any sort of like emotional attachment to the series as a result of that? Tell me about your Final Fantasy history. Sure. I'm glad we're starting with me because it's going to be really embarrassing just (laughs) right out of the gate. So I used to be a cosplayer for a very long time in my teen years and early 20s. It's a dark part of my past when I expressed being a nerd in a different, more theatrical way. Hey, cosplay is cool. Yeah, why is that dark? It's great. It's super cool and... It's because, I don't know, you're right, it's really cool, and everybody listening to this is thinking to themselves, Maddie's a thousand times cooler now that I know that she owns a sewing machine and has made things out of craft foam. I think foam. might be truer than you think. I hope so. I hope so, <laughs> listener, because I'm going to talk about it more. So the very first costume that I ever made was uh, Songstress Yuna from Final Fantasy X2, and that mm, is nice. also the very first Final Fantasy game I ever played. Oh, However, man. that's that's so funny because it's also I, the it's funny for so Final many reasons. Fantasy. It's the gayest <laughs> Final Fantasy. It is the most controversial Final Fantasy in, among like no. your hardcore male fans at least who were upset that it was all Definitely girls. Not. Maybe at the time. Maybe at the time. Not for was. you, Jason. I know you're <laughs> you have your own opinions which are yes. correct about this, which is that it's great and that's fine, but there are certainly X2 haters out there and I don't sure. care about them. Um no, I guess I do if you're an X2 hater. I will still read your email and I will understand where you're coming from. Of I don't, course. I, I don't know. Okay, go on. <laughs> Jason won't. Um, but so I did that cosplay because I just had a lot of friends at the time who were super into the game. And we were also pretty into Kingdom Hearts at the time. And Yuna's in that game for a hot second. But so are a whole bunch of other characters from Final Fantasy VII. And there's a lot of crossover with uh, Final Fantasy and the Kingdom Hearts characters in those games. Um at least the early games. And so I was part of a bunch of cosplay groups that did those characters. And that I didn't own a PlayStation. I had a friend who had a PlayStation and he showed me the intro to Final Fantasy X2 and we played some of it together. And I was like, great, awesome. I'm totally on board to be part of this cosplay group and like do a bunch of, of cosplays. And then I think the second time 
thing I played that was kind of Final Fantasy-ish was that I played the two first two Kingdom Hearts games with the girl I was dating at the time, who was also in the cosplay group. And then that she had a PlayStation, and then that was like the entryway into me playing more mm, got it, JRPGs, okay. just in general. So, do you have an emotional connection to? I, I do because I just associate it with that time in my life. Mm. So. I associate it with that sort of creative side that I have because before that point I was playing a lot of really competitive games and shooters and bro-y games. Like I had an Xbox, you know, I was playing Counter-Strike on PC. I was like very bro-y and like when I started to get into cosplay and I was like dating a girl for the first time, I was sort of getting more into my feminine side in a way and that is just an association that I have with Final Fantasy, but it's a very positive one for me. So cool. I don't know. It was a cool time in my life. So very cool. Kirk, what about you? What was your so, first? And do you have an emotional <laughs> attachment to this series? I yeah, I do have an emotional attachment to the series, but it is not as a result of my first Final Fantasy game. So as listeners may or may not know, but now everyone listening to Triple Click will know, I was not allowed to own gaming consoles growing up. I mm-hmm. had a Game Boy that my parents finally like broke down and let me have. My, me and my sister both got them. And I played games on a PC that I made when I was in high school. But I did not have game consoles. So I didn't have a Nintendo, didn't have a Super Nintendo, and missed a lot of those games. As a result, I missed a lot of Japanese games in particular because that was kind of... You could play Japanese games games on consoles. You could play a lot of other games on PC, but there weren't as many Japanese games, at least when I was growing up in the 1990s. So I hadn't really played a Final Fantasy game. I remedied that a little bit. The first JRPG that I really played was Chrono Trigger, which is not a Final Fantasy game, but I played that on DS. On DS, yeah. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. really liked it and thought it was pretty cool, but I hadn't really played a Final Fantasy. And then I was just breaking into games journalism. Um, I was at GDC and I met Jason Killingsworth at the time, the games editor at Paste Magazine, my alma mater, and I know also Maddie's alma mater. Well, and, not uh, really. The Phoenix was my real alma mater. I guess true. But I, one who of your, hasn't worked at Paste Magazine? Right. You one know? of your alma maters. Um, one of your, a place that you have, have worked. I went there for grad school. Yes. Your grad, the, <laughs> Pace was the first place that ever paid me to write about video games. So uh, all three. Great. Yeah. Still one of the greats. We all have a good, a good link to Paste. So Jason at the time was editing. This was when Pace was still doing a print magazine and he had read something of mine that was like on on the internet and had been like hey i like your thing um you should pitch me a thing or like write a review for me which was kind of a big break for me at the time it was kind of one of the first people who said i'll pay you money to write about video games and i said sure what do you want me to review and he said final fantasy 13 oh god and you had like no context for what final fantasy 13 meant and like funny Wow. So I had to review Final Fantasy 13 for Pace, which I did. And um, having not really played a Final Fantasy game, which wound up being, a, I think I wrote a pretty good review. I like kind of encapsulated the, the good and the bad of that game. It's, you don't have mm-hmm. to have played Final Fantasy to be able to talk about how that game is kind of weird and how it's fun in some ways and also like kind of a strange, like railroaded experience in others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I played the whole friggin' thing too because that's the thing is Final Fantasy games were all long as hell and I had played long games before but playing a series that you weren't really attached to in a style that you weren't that familiar with that's like a 70 hour game I mean I just went and yeah. went and went and went with this game like it never ends and um, had to write a review of it so I reviewed that game and uh, didn't love it didn't hate it but like didn't really like it mm-hmm. 
And I uh, kind of kept playing games from there, but didn't really have a reason to go back until I played Final Fantasy VII for a thing that I know I've referenced, which is the Final Fantasy VII letters that I wrote with Lee Alexander, also at Pace Magazine. We should link to these. This is maybe a good time to <laughs> we link <should>. them uh, <laughs> yeah. in the show notes. They're they're cool. I'm still really proud of them. They're just a thing that the wonderful writer Lee Alexander and I did together where she is like knew the game really, really well. I had never played it before. And it was kind of just an idea she had. I think she had started playing it again on... Was it on Vita? It was like before Vita. Maybe it was on PSP. She was playing it again. I mean, thinking, at this point, it's been ported everywhere. So right, heck, if right. I can remember it could what have been it anything. used to be on. Yeah. Um, she basically had this thought of, hey, you know, you've never played it. Let's do a letter series. So we did. And mm-hmm. that game, both because it's a wonderful game and because we had a great time writing and it was just so critically engaging to be doing this letter series. Like, I love that game and have this total emotional attachment to it. And that was really my way into Final Fantasy. It was just, it, it was the second take after um, reviewing Final Final Fantasy 13, which was like fine, but didn't totally grab me. So that's in a strange way in. That's me. It's so funny that you started. Okay, so that's funny for a number of reasons. But the first and foremost, um, it's important to know that every single Final Fantasy game is a standalone video game that has nothing to do with all the others, with a couple of exceptions. Like X2, you mentioned, is called X2 because it's a sequel to X. But um, all of the numbered mainline Final Fantasy games are totally new, brand new stories and brand new worlds that just have a bunch of recurring themes and motifs. Um, for example, most of the games have airships. Most of them have a guy named Sid. Most of them have chocobos. Bigs and, and Wedge. Bigs and Wedge. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Star, Wars, Star Wars references that were snuck mm-hmm. in in Final Fantasy VI and just kind of stuck around. Um, most of them have summon monsters. Most of them have blue menus with like a certain distinctive sound effect that has become <laughs> known as like the Final Fantasy sound effect. Yep. Um, well, also the victory theme. You can't forget that. <laughs> The victory theme, yeah, there are different iterations on the victory theme, although it's not in all of them. There's something, I don't know, I think the only music that's in every game is the prelude arpeggio music, Mm -hmm. the one that's like da-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, the the iconic Final Fantasy music. Um, Is it a pentatonic scale? I thought it was an arpeggio. Yeah, Um, I mean, it's, it's a pentatonic scale, like minus a note. Yeah, Final Fantasy, I I started the series. I I definitely have a bigger emotional connection to the series than either of you. Well, you've played more of them. I've played all of them. (laughs) Well, I grew up with them. So my first Final Fantasy was actually Final Fantasy, the game that came out in 1987. Um, Did you play that when you were one years old? (laughs) I played it when I was... Well, so my parents had an NES before I was even born. So um, I started playing the game when I was probably two or three well they're really ready for you to become a gamer yeah yeah they i was grown up uh i was brought up a gamer i was indoctrinated very Mm -hmm. early on so yes that was my first game and i always i never finished it because i was too young to really understand how to actually beat it and also nes games were all super tough including the original final fantasy but um but my real emotional connection came so a little bit of background here so final fantasy one came out for the nes it was kind of square enix was this kind of failing game company that released this game the legend goes that this was like their last ditch effort they were like we're gonna go bankrupt let's just put everything into this thing this guy named Hironobu Sakaguchi comes out and is like Final Fantasy it's our Final Fantasy although uh, he's disputed the title legend later like he's been like (laughs) actually we just Mm -hmm. wanted something that was like the acronym's FF but whatever he comes out of the game 
sells really well. It's basically a, a Dragon Warrior ripoff with like Dungeons. It's Dungeons and Dragons meets Dragon Warrior. Mm-hmm. Sells really well, performs well. Um, so they release more games. But those games come out only in the Famicom in Japan, Final Fantasy 2 and 3, uh, because of timing and localization issues and blah, blah, blah. So those games come out. Then Final Fantasy 4 comes out as Final Fantasy 2 in the U.S. and starts this whole ridiculous, like... This is where it gets fun. This is always where it gets fun. Uh, uh, Nomen nature confusion that just like lasts forever um and is still like to this day is still confusing to people but so that was the game that really like was my first emotional attachment to any video game because that game came out um i played it probably when i was like five or six and it was the first game that like i played that actually had a story that like had these characters that you cared about and who would come in and out of your party and die and have these tragic stories like one of them one of them died permanently like you think that uh that the death in Final Fantasy 7 is iconic. You play Final Fantasy 4 and and that guy, mm-hmm. there's a guy in Final Fantasy 4 who sacrifices himself to like kill an uh, a boss and you see it happened in battle. Like the way it works is he uses more magic points than he actually has and it like kills wow. him in real life. Like during a turn-based battle nominally? Yeah, during a turn-based battle. Yeah, wow, Final cool. Fantasy 4. It's actually it's like way ahead of its time. They have all these scripted battle sequences that where they use the actual battle system for like these plot events that look really cool and it does a lot of really incredible stuff. And so that game was like the first even though I played the original first, that game was the first that like really got its emotional attachment mm-hmm. to me um and that game i think is a lot of people's favorites but then my real favorite and like one of my favorite games of all time is final fantasy 6 which came out so 5 is another one that was only released in japan and so the western localization was like you know what we're just gonna skip to three so final fantasy 6 is called final fantasy (laughs) 3 on the super nintendo it's so ridiculous right like in (laughs) retrospect it's like i you i mean you know if they could go back in time and do it all again they would not do this but like back then video games were so young and like this burgeoning medium that nobody really understood and people were still trying to figure out and it was just kind of like this slapdash like if you look at the translations for some of those games it's just like oh my god like how could this be a serious professional video game industry like it's it was it was silly silly time um (laughs) Final Fantasy VI, this also happens to be the game that if I win my predictions uh, in 2020, then you guys have to play this game. Yes, yes. It holds up well. You and I, that I I played some of that game with you on a stream a year or so ago. Mm -hmm. Whereas I haven't played any of it. Yeah, yeah, we dug into it for a few it's, hours. It's wonderful. If if Jason wins, we all win. So it's it's one of those games that like yeah, the characters they they say more in like a single uh, in like a single. Um, Hello, baby. They say more in a single facial expression, like a f- single 2D facial expression, than like a lot of the 3D models in later games say by doing like crazy things. It's it it works really well for in so many ways, and I could go on and on about that game and how special it is to me. But that was really the game that. But you'll do that once you win your predictions. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But all of these games, all these games, like sold well and appealed to like a, a pretty substantial substantial audience of like hardcore RPG fans on the nintendo but they never really broke out into like blockbuster numbers until final fantasy 7 came along <laughs> and i don't know if you guys remember do you guys remember the original commercial for final fantasy 7 because no. it was no. mind-boggling okay so a little bit of context perform here. it <laughs> yeah a little bit of context here is that i mean really you can make an argument that final fantasy 7 is responsible for the success of the playstation because nintendo was going had, had all the first final Fan- the first six final fantasy games all came out of nintendo and nintendo had this 
great relationship with Square. They were both Japanese companies. They worked together closely. And Square was going to release Final Fantasy VII on the Nintendo PlayStation because Nintendo and PlayStation were teaming up to release right, this right, CD right. Nintendo that was going to be their successor. But there, that did not work out. They split up. PlayStation decided, you know what? We're just going to take the CD and do our own thing. Nintendo stuck with cartridges. But so Square is working on this big blockbuster Final Fantasy game with tons of like full motion graphic videos that can't actually fit on a cartridge. So they're like, you know what? We're going to go on this PlayStation thing. And they probably, I mean, they certainly convinced me to get a PlayStation instead of like a Nintendo 64. They probably convinced a lot of people back then. But also this game, Final Fantasy VII, it came out in like such a splashy way. They spent millions of dollars on marketing. They released TV commercials that were like the future of video games, like all these crazy (laughs) cinematic, like 3D graphics. Because back then they could stick these pre-rendered videos that were part of like the cutscenes on discs and they would look like leaps and bounds better than anything else you could play in a video game. Today they kind of look like uh, crummy compared to even like real-time graphics (laughs) in modern (laughs) games. But but back then they were just so impressive and they took up all this space that so they needed to be on uh, discs uh, so you could play them. But um, yeah, Final Fantasy VII comes out and it just blows everybody away. Like this game just becomes a cultural phenomenon, sells millions of copies, um, I believe it sold 11 million copies. I think that's the wow. number. Um, and that game really was just like, like took Final Fantasy to a whole new level. Um, mm-hmm. And then future ones came out. Um, I don't know if, have you guys played um, eight, nine, 10? Uh, 10, yes. I played some of nine, quite ten. a bit of 10, um, 13, obviously, some of 12. Yeah, I played 13 as well. Well, so one of the things that's really cool about Final Fantasy is that as all these games came out, um, something that Square always tried to do is um, they tried to change things up with every single entry. Every single entry was innovative in some way. So like Final Fantasy VII introduces this this idea of materia where you can like equip spells in the forms of little crystals and combine them to create crazy effects. And then Final Fantasy VIII introduces the draw system where you can stand in battle and like steal magic from enemies and then equip it to boost your stats and so all these all these crazy ideas are going into this series it's like a complete contrast to the other big japanese rpg series dragon warrior dragon quest which is just traditional like we're gonna stick to the same thing every single time no matter what like stick to our routines and final fantasy it's like the the conservative it's like the republicans in dragon quest (laughs) and like the crazy liberal hippie democrats like we're gonna the republicans are like we're gonna do we're gonna stick to our turn-based combat no matter what and no abortions and then final <laughs> fantasy is like we're gonna change things up we're hippies and we're gonna choice, go in our freedom own of choice freedom of choice <laughs> for everybody um and yeah just over time it's become it's definitely had its ups and downs um quite a lot of spin-offs and batshit anime uh especially starting final fantasy 7 um mm-hmm. there have been uh a lot of good games a lot of not so good games i think for a lot of people it's funny that 13 was your first game Kirk because I think for a lot of people that was kind of the nadir of the oh, series I know. Sure. Um, but then there are people where that's their favorite one and mm-hmm. love the 313 games yeah so. I think that well so the, the the subsequent ones are much better than the original mm-hmm. 13 the I original agree, 13 yeah. I think even if it if, if it holds a special place in your heart it's hard to argue that 13 was a good game because it just has a lot of like objective issues one of them for example is that <laughs> this is ridiculous the encyclopedia in the game actually is is 
either bugged or like they sloppily handled because it reveals events that haven't happened to you yet. So like (laughs) you'll be playing through and it'll be like, and then lightning was attacked by such and such. And that hasn't actually happened yet. Even though it's in Mm -hmm. the encyclopedia, you can access your menu. I'm like really surprised they haven't fixed that by now. But I guess it's like, who cares at this point? (laughs) The game's been out for so long. I do remember that from when I... When I played the game, being like, "You remember that? Why? What? <laughs> like reading a thing and yeah. like, that didn't yeah. happen yet. Why? Well, why is it telling so, me this?" And then, so what I remember is, so all these games, I have a lot of fond memories of like going on message boards and reading as like the games would be released usually a few months sure. earlier in Japan, so people would be able to talk about them on like game packs and stuff. So thirteen, the biggest knock against it was that it was super linear. So like right. previous games, you could always access a world map, and you can also ha- always have like multiple ways that you could explore. They kind of had linear stories, so it was all kind of an illusion. The idea it wasn't like there were big Skyrim yeah, like open say, world like, games or anything. That complaint. Actually, as someone who grew up playing like Morrowind or whatever, it always struck Mm -hmm. me as sort of funny only because every JRPG I've played is significantly more linear than your average like actual you know really yeah, non-linear game yeah but the difference but it, it's a striking difference because oh, this yeah, is literally course, course. you're just walking in a straight line and like pressing the a button and yeah. also i mean one of the especially the first like eight hours or something the first it's the first like 20 hours before it yeah maybe then, it's more maybe i'm like it's a lot of, more. <laughs> i'm shutting some of that down in my brain and forgetting it didn't it. have towns like towns were a beloved part of like original games like you couldn't talk to npcs it was just kind of like a non-stop like call of duty action ride and that people didn't like that about it also and this was just this is just kind of like a a, an objectively bad decision it took i think 10 hours between 8 and 10 hours before you actually unlocked all of the things you could do in combat it was so heavily tutorialized that they would just drip feed these new mechanics and be like now you can do this now you can stagger now you can change classes now blah 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 up to like literally 10 hours into the game you're still unlocking the combat system so mm-hmm. for quite a bit of time you're just pressing a and that's it like there's no decision making at all so yeah that game has a lot of issues yeah i reviewed it i remember <laughs> yeah it's um it's it's a problem of a game but yeah the 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 sequels um 2 10 uh, 13 2 and then lightning returns were mm-hmm. much better and much much different and um did some interesting things yeah and the stagger mechanic is is cool and it's part of why final fantasy 7 remake is so fun is because it takes that part of that the combat from those games and makes it good yeah it's a little different in seven really but yeah Yeah. it's um it is a good it's a good mechanic but like sometimes especially towards the beginning of 13 because you're just you don't have any actual options it just kind of feels like you're just going through (laughs) but it's a good idea yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah and so uh and then there were mmos along the way i don't know if you guys Mm -hmm. remember this but actually back in the day uh, it's so funny square used to release these guys at a cadence of like one every year or one every two years which is hilarious Hilarious to look at now, now that they've released one game in a decade. But um, but it was like it was like eight, nine, ten, and then in the same E three conference, they announced. I believe it was like eleven, twelve, and thirteen all at once. And it was like eleven is an MMO, twelve is this game, and then thirteen we're doing a whole series of trilogy and blah blah blah, like a project. They called it the thirteen something crystal project. Um, so they used to just crank these games out. Eleven was weird, and it was kind of it's always been kind of like the black sheep, unless you're like a huge MMO fan, because that was the first MMO, and that was kind of like an attempt to to um 
recreate the success of uh, other MMOs of the day, EverQuest and such. Um, and then 14 is the other MMO, and that is uh, super critically acclaimed. That's a game that mm-hmm. I've tried to get into, but just haven't had the time to really see it through. But the yeah. many hours I have played, I've loved because it's a great game. Um, mm-hmm. But that and that game also has a crazy right. story behind it. Kirk, you want to right. tell? You want to talk about? Oh, it? that they launched it and it was fucked up, and then they completely went back to the to the drawing board and, and basically rebuilt the game, right? Or you know, fixed it, redid everything and fixed it. Yeah, they call yeah. it a realm reborn. They took it down for a year and a half, which is right. kind of mind-boggling in retrospect. I think that was the first example of like a game that went through that narrative of like, hey, it came out. Has that ever happened where a game is taken down? I remember people saying like Anthem should do this. There are times where people will get very critical of a game with a really problematic launch and say they should just pull a Final Fantasy XIV on it Mm -hmm. and just take it offline. People have said that about Fallout 76 as well. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yep, they definitely have. The difference is that 14 has a monthly subscription fee, so they pretty much had to take it down rather than asking players to keep paying mm. while they waited as opposed mm-hmm. to anthem and fallout which don't cost you anything to well, like it doesn't after cost you buy them <laughs> yeah right i mean to, to leave it up it doesn't you don't have to yeah, pay yeah, to yeah. keep your character online or sure. anything. right they can just keep working on it while you've already paid for it um so 14 the new it like the the it's getting expansion packs all the time and updates and patches and stuff and it's become it's turned into this like final fantasy theme park where you play yeah. through and there are raids and like content based on all the old games there's like a golden saucer in there. There's triple triad, the card game from eight. Um, there's all this, all this, uh, all this cool stuff. Um, and then 15 is the most recent one. Um, that game has a whole development saga of its own that we won't get mm-hmm. into, but I enjoy that game quite a bit. Um, I think that like the, there are a couple of reasons that this game holds such a special place in people's hearts. Um, first and foremost is the music. And I think that like without the music, these games probably would, not have lasted uh like the series would probably not be going the way it is if not for the music because the music takes a lot of what would otherwise be just kind of rote stuff or boring tedious stuff and just takes it to a new level like for example i mean the combat system in a lot of those old games is can be grindy and tedious and a lot of it is just mashing the a button while random encounters pop up but because the music is so good it helps you just get through it and you're just like oh yeah this battle theme is amazing i'm I'm gonna play because i want to listen to this battle theme um or just like like those emotional moments from like final fantasy 7 or 6 yeah. it's just like all the the music yeah kirk give me give me your thoughts because you're you're our music expert here. i'll i'll be brief here because i might do something a little bit more detailed on the music of final fantasy at some mm, point down the road that's um, exciting but yeah, so um, Uematsu, the composer for Final Fantasy VII, of course, is this w- very widely heralded the first ten he did game composer. Yeah, he did he did a lot of Final Fantasy music, and Seven definitely introduces something that I know is in the earlier games as well. But for me, it's just so that it's a thing that's very common in Japanese games where themes just repeat over and over and over again because there's a lot of repetition in the game in general. And in that game, the character themes are so strong. Aerith's theme is so strong. Cloud's theme is so strong that you hear them over and over again and they just carry so much emotional water for the game because everything else is pretty rudimentary. The music is too. It doesn't sound like the full orchestras that we hear in in modern games, but it's still, it's sophisticated musically and the melodies are so, so good that when you hear them over and over again, they just get to you and that kind of gives you that connection to these weird little polygons moving around on the screen. (laughs) 
that then all these years later I'll hear Cloud's theme or I'll hear Aerith's theme holy crap like an FF7 remake and I'll be like moved like emotionally yeah just like because, welling up yeah when you like, playing uh, that song and yep, you're like yeah. oh it's Aerith mm-hmm. and well even <laughs> the fact that characters have themes like I don't think that's something that happens very often in games especially in western games I think that's a very Japanese thing and it's a very fun it's very cinematic too to like have a character come yes. in and there's a certain motif that plays to yeah. accompany them yeah but even more than cinema because you're seeing them over and over again and it right. lasts a lot that's, longer than two right, hours that's the thing that the games have that the movies don't like it's not as pronounced and right there aren't these repetitive scenes so you don't get them mm-hmm. kind of you don't get hit over the head with them so much yeah yeah i i think just having yeah, having the music there man there's a scene that i remember and anyone who's played final fantasy 6 will no doubt remember this but like you're you're going they do a lot with musical changes and just like abrupt just kind of shifts and so there's a scene where it's early in the game you're in this town called south figaro and you're going around it's the town music is great it's playing and then you go walk into this bar suddenly the music shifts and it's like this western style like dingy like strange Mm -hmm. theme and you're like what is going on here and then you go up to the bar and you see this character and you're like and this character is distinct he's wearing black clothes he has a dog next to him and you're like oh it's this guy this guy must be this guy's (laughs) this guy's causing this song apparently (laughs) and then every time he pops up in some way like you hear that song and you're like you associate it in your head and you're like oh man this is cool um so yeah the music um has just been even in the early games that didn't have as strong stories like the original game the original game like you go back and listen to some of that midi like uh pixelated music um and it is it is incredible so another thing in addition to the music is i think the the combat systems i think that the gameplay itself is a big thing that people like about these games jason you mentioned the way that they are always innovating i haven't played every single final fantasy but i played a lot of them i played enough to see the ways that the system changes it goes to like hard turn base in fact you haven't mentioned it but i know that this is jason one of your favorite games too is final fantasy tactics mm-hmm. which is another one of my favorite games and actually tactics a2 grimoire of the rift the the ds game yes, love that game, game. Um, it has a lot of the music from Final Fantasy XII, and the music is was actually what made me fall in love with that game as well. But the gameplay is so good. It's like XCOM-style, really hard turn-based, um, tactical, you know, positional combat, mm-hmm. which is very different than most other Final Fantasy games. There's no other actual tactics combat, right? There are some that are turn-based. FF10 is turn-based. And yeah. that, I think, there are, you know, I think everyone has opinions on, like, their favorite combat system maybe we can go around and say them in a second but i think that the combat and the way that you spend so much time in this game listening to the great combat music and fighting enemies and then fighting huge bosses that go on and on and on again forever i know maddie you and i were complaining a little bit about all the bosses (laughs) and now that i've finished ff7 remake holy crap there's a lot of bosses at the end of that game i told you (laughs) (laughs) but you know i think that we spend so much time in those combat systems that they are a big part of the game and if you don't gel with the combat system for a certain game like I didn't love the combat in FF13 that's going to be a lot of the game and it, it kind of yeah. winds up defining your favorite games mm-hmm. what is yeah. what's uh, Jason what's your maybe you go first what's your favorite combat system in the Final Fantasy game? favorite combat system I, I don't even know I mean they all have their advantages I guess 12 12 has a pretty cool combat system it's set up these gambits these AI mm-hmm. like uh, basic AI for your party members um, yeah the I just wanted to say Tactics not only is that one of my favorite games ever it's also the game that I recommend people play first uh, if they want 
to start with a Final Fantasy game because you can get it on your phone and it plays amazingly on your phone and highly recommend it to everybody out there who's curious about this. Maddie, what about you? Do you have a favorite? Oh boy. I, I would have said 10 too, but it's been so long since I've played it that I'm not sure how I would feel about it now. But I do remember that a lot of it was based around like you change your outfit and that changes your whole deal. And I yeah. thought that was just a really cool <laughs> yeah, concept well, that's your class. to have it's at like the time. It's like a class yes. system or a job yeah, system. Exactly. Which is you're wearing really a black mage outfit or like a sorcerer outfit or whatever. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Which is just a fun way to organize JRPG combat. And I haven't quite seen a, f- a game do that again. But mm, Yeah, it's great. That's you know, a very underrated game, I would say. It is an underrated game, but I don't I don't hate Final Fantasy VII Remakes combat. Some of those boss battles are way too long, but like just the regular workaday combat, I, I tended to really enjoy. And it was mm-hmm. like so close to being something I really loved because it's it's an action game finally and it's real time and except you can still like pause it and screw around with your spells and stuff. And I was like, this is a really good blend of the turn-based stuff that I tend to find really boring in a JRPG with mm. an actual action combat. I just wish that rolling and dodging had made more sense and that like switching mm-hmm between characters didn't feel so bad so maybe they're gonna change that in the the next few remakes uh, it's funny that you mentioned that only because that you don't like the turn-based combat and you do like the combat in final fantasy 7 remake well, because it's more action-based yeah well, right and so it grew on me over time like i like it fine and i can see how this is ff7 remake i can see mm-hmm. how the more like if you're playing on hard mode and replaying the game with all the material unlocked it gets even more fun i definitely mm-hmm. like get it and agree with you. I have the same complaints that I made last last week that I won't I won't rearticulate here. I really don't like the combat in Final Fantasy 15, which is also action based. I just think it is bad. I just don't like it for, for a yeah. lot of the same reasons I don't like Seven. And my favorite combat systems are actually I love tactics, even though that's kind of not a mainline game. I love those kinds of games, and I really like FF10 because it's just oh, hard turn based combat. It is. It's just you take a turn, the next person takes a turn, and I really <laughs> mm-hmm. like you know I like games like that. I like Divinity Original Sin 2, I like XCOM, I like all of these like turn-based mm-hmm. games where you can just really take your time and it doesn't require mastering any sort of like reaction-based stuff because right. those games tend to be so kind of naughty and I just it takes so long to figure out what I'm gonna do that the pressure of there any being any time pressure takes me out of it. I really like just being able to relax and sort of mm-hmm. focus on and plan my next move. That's funny as like a from software fan Wait, I, if it were done well it, that's the thing too is <laughs> right. that like the, i just don't think that the fighting in ff7 remake or 15 yeah, like what if final fantasy was bloodborne like what if dodging mattered right. as much as it does in bloodborne then right. it would i mean own. that would be <laughs> awesome. that'd be a great game and if it was designed as well as bloodborne's yeah. combat then i would oh for sure that, fine totally fine. yeah but i i think part of final fantasy i mean i think one of the other things that kind of defines final fantasy is that it's got this kind of weird vibe to it that is yeah. almost it's hard to put your finger on exactly but it's almost the games at least the best of them they don't take themselves too seriously they're willing to have a sense of humor in Final Fantasy mm-hmm. 7 for example like you have a slap fight on a cannon they're games that are like a lot of games are more straightforward you're going a lot of RPGs especially are very straightforward you go to a dungeon then to a town and at the town the mayor tells you to go find his cat in a new dungeon and you follow this rhythm this pattern that gets very familiar after a while in Final Fantasy games you're just doing all sorts of crazy 
crazy shit. Like in Final Fantasy VII, the first few hours, you wind up performing CPR on a little girl who then helps you out by letting her pet dolphin take you up <laughs> to a tower that lets you climb into a city, and then you put on a Shinra uniform and pretend to march in a parade, and you do this button <laughs> mini game that lets you impress the yeah. TV ratings, and you see like a TV director like br- like talking about how the ratings aren't going high enough, and it's just <laughs> ridiculous these games. Um, and speak not to harp on 13 but one of the reasons that it kind of wasn't beloved is because it took itself way too seriously and didn't do any of the fun stuff that you want out of final fantasy games but yeah i think it's hard to i think when you're trying to put your finger on like why people love final fantasy what what makes it feel so special to people i think one of the biggest reasons is that it's just silly <laughs> it's just yeah, ridiculous there's also this sort of let me take your temperature on this and i'm curious mm-hmm. what the two of you think there's like a kind of an emotional space in these games and i mean that they're actually actually is a lot of space in between the emotions because people don't talk the way they talk like the human beings talk. It's very childish and that can be a knock against it. Like a lot of these games, it does kind of feel like you're watching like like something written by little kids. Like there'll just be people really expressing emotions in this very kind of um, childish way. Uh, but it's not it's not like a bad thing, at least to me. And I think that it is part of the central appeal to the series because the more you play them, the more you kind of get attuned to their frequency and you get used to this way that people talk and it just all starts to feel believable. The sort of constant, you know, <clears throat> and the the sounds that people make and the, the wordless responses. <laughs> the anime, and the anime noises. It's kind yeah, of anime, You're really yeah. talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake, though. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm really talking about all of them. Like, I think that there is a weirdness and an awkwardness, a kind of stilted nature to the emotion and the communication and the way that people talk in all of these games that is a consistent thing across I, all of them. I would not say that. I think I think you're a little <laughs> out of your depth there when you're saying all of them. I think a few of them. Yeah, but like I'm thinking about FF15. Like people talk more like real people in FF15 and in FF7 Remake, but there's still a kind of like there's this kind of hollowness in the middle yeah, of it. I mean, that's modern Square Enix anime. Like, that's a lot of, it's a lot of factors in there. But the games are so different that it's hard to really say, it's hard to say anything that applies to all of them. Because I think that there's a consistency there. Like, I think there's a consistent thread there. And I think, and I see it as a good thing. I think that it's a defining aspect of the series that mm. people tend to sort of relate to, or they fill up that space with their own feelings and they can kind of project into it a little bit more than they could if everything was like super written out and super fleshed out and didn't have that quality to it. Mm, I think you might just be describing Kingdom Hearts, but I, that's all I'll say on the matter. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, so yeah, that is that is what the deal is with Final Fantasy. And that's our, that's our best shot. And so I think I think the best entry point. I'm curious to hear. Let me know if you guys disagree. But I think if someone is listening to this and is like, you know what, I want to try Final Fantasy for the first time. I think tactics on the phone, like I mentioned before. And if you're not as interested in a tactical game, you want to try the real thing. I would. I generally tell people to start with nine i think that is a game that really captures captures the essence of final fantasy and is a good starting point um or 10 10 is also like a good yeah starting point. i usually say 10 but it's because mm-hmm. i haven't played nine so can't recommend Fair. it yeah no oh, man good. you should you'd like it um okay cool let's would. take a break and then we'll be back with one more thing hey max funsters it's jesse thorne This week on my public radio interview show, Bullseye, I'm talking with Tina Fey and Robert Carlock about creating Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, 30 Rock, and also just kind of why they're the best at everything. There was a window of time when we used to go to awards things and pick up our prizes and party with the people from Mad Men. 
You can find Bullseye at MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. There's nothing quite like sailing in the calm international waters on my ship, the SS Biopic. Avast! It's actually pronounced biopic. No, you dingus! It's biopic! Who the hell says that? It's biopic. Because it's the, the words word for biography and picture. If you... All right, that is enough. Ahoy! I'm Dave Holmes. I am the host of the rebooted podcast formerly known as International Waters designed to resolve petty but persistent arguments like this. How? By pitting two teams of opinionated comedians against each other with trivia and improv games, of course. Winner takes home the right to be right. What podcast be this? It's called Troubled Waters, where we disagree to disagree! And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, it is time for one more thing. Kirk, get us started. What is your one more thing this week? <laughs> My one more thing is not a video game this Yay! week. It is it is a TV show. I know that the two of you are talking about games too, which is good. But mine is not a game. It's um, a TV show that I've finally been watching. This is yes. a show that I had watched a little bit of, or watched the first yes. season of, and very much enjoyed, and then just sort of didn't find time for it. And I know Jason loves this show and has talked about it a lot. So my sister actually started watching it too recently on Netflix and had been telling me how great it is. So I started watching it too. And that show is Better Call Saul, which ah. I uh, <laughs> began watching again and watched all of season two pretty quickly. And so good. it's really good. <laughs> that's so kind good. of my, that's kind of my whole one more that's thing. It. What a great show though. Um, ah, there's so much to talk about. You know what I think is interesting about it? So I, I won't say too many spoilers. I do think people should watch it. Maddie, you haven't watched Better Call Saul, is that right? No. Okay. Or Breaking Bad. And no one can make me. Maybe I'll watch The Sopranos someday, but the ship has sailed for me on Breaking Bad. I don't think I think The Sopranos is way more important for you to watch. Than I would agree with you. Of those, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you live your own life and watch whatever you want. I was just curious what the frame of reference for the two of you was going into this. Um, it's fantastic. I think you could watch it without having seen Breaking Bad. It is very different than Breaking Bad, and I would say I like it more, especially because Breaking Bad was a little bit more of a peri- of a show of its time, the same way The Sopranos is, um, of that kind of period of early, mid-2000s peak TV. And Better Call Saul feels like a second wave, second generation show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool because it is a prequel to Breaking Bad, and there's plenty of, even in season two, I know, I've seen the promo stuff, so I know all the characters from Breaking Bad who turn up on this show eventually, because everyone who dies on Breaking Bad or leaves the show or whatever is still alive on this because it's a prequel. Um, But it's not, you don't have to have seen it, and it kind of makes the show interesting in some ways. So, first of all, um, Bob Odenkirk plays Saul Goodman. He was this kind of sleazy lawyer on Breaking Bad, who was mostly um, comic relief. But then on Better Call Saul, of course, he's the main character. It's wild to me watching season two that when the show started, people were like, oh, I don't know. Can Bob Odenkirk carry a show? Like, does he have what it takes? Because he's amazing. I mean, like, he's so amazing in season two. He's a great actor. And yeah, he and um, what's her name? The actress who plays? uh, Reese Seahorn. Reese Seahorn. They have so much chemistry. They're so great together. And the show is really about the two of them. It's like a two main character show. And um, it's really fascinating. Oh, God. But, I'm so excited for you to watch more. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Maddie, what's your one more thing? Okay. So I have a friend, Dante Douglas, who made a very small little game called Solitary Spaceship. And I played it. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit because this is a game that's about 
COVID-19. It's a game about a person who's in their apartment and they're just going around their apartment dealing with life and every time you try to walk out the front door of the apartment you just end up back in the apartment again and it resets and it another day passes every time you do that and you can do different stuff each day oh and man wow. it's it's also a game that's sort of inspired by a Discord channel that Dante made that I'm in. And so he like credited all of us as co-writers because when you check <laughs> the computer, you can like read the Discord where we had conversations uh-huh. about COVID. So yeah. I guess you could say I'm a co-writer of this game. But I thought it was really interesting to play it because it made me think about how many more games like this there are going to be and think about what those games will be like. I don't necessarily see that as a good thing. I'm really not one of those people who looks at a terrible incident and is like, oh, think of the great art that will be created. (laughs) Because in fact, I try to really resist that sentiment because I I don't, I think great art can come from not tragedy and like there can be people who are perfectly happy and they make really great art. And I think that trauma as a mandatory thing for art is a pretty damaging way to look at art. So I've really tried to not think to not think about it in those terms, but playing this game, I was like, this is a really interesting game about a specific moment and how your, your apartment can feel like a spaceship, hence the title, because you can never leave. And it's like, you're just in this one space and there's only certain things you can do. Is there like a sense that are you actually on a spaceship or is this just very realist? You're just in an apartment. It starts out very realist. Oh, okay. 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 How how can people play it if they're curious? Is it free? Um, I'll include a link to it. It is free. It's on itch.io and I can give a link to it. And remind the name. It is called Solitary Spaceship. But just in general, I'm really interested to see what happens with yeah. COVID and game yeah. developers and the kinds of stories that people decide they want to tell. And yeah, people said that about Trump, and then there haven't really been any stories that are like I know. Trumpy in, um, uh, in games or really but I anywhere. Think, <laughs> I think it's also true that this time has influenced all of the art we make because it has to. So just no matter what, that's true. You know what I mean? Sure. And, yeah, and it's true. always kind of been true. Like I was just having a conversation today with some people about how Saints Row um, is about how when you're famous, like nothing really affects you and how dark of a message that seems to be now <laughs> in like our huh. current time. Right. But like that game, Saints Row 4 came out before... Trump was elected, you know, so like it's not it's not like that message was intentional, but it's also like these are the things about our culture that people think about no matter what. And they affect Mm. the stories that we tell. So, yeah, even if it doesn't seem like a direct one to one, I think people are going to be making games about covid without intending to, if that makes sense. There's also like the question of turnaround time, just that like you can make a, a smaller game very quickly, but it could be a game comes out by the time maybe somebody else is president. <laughs> Lord willing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're about to play <laughs> a game knows? about a pandemic. So like, right. it's I real know. also true. Um, yeah. Cool. So my one more thing is I wanted to talk about losing progress in video games because uh, I have uh, some very mixed feelings about this. So I'm playing no. Persona 5 Royal. Um, I am like almost at the end of the original game. So I'm so close to the new stuff. I can only, I can taste it. But um, who knows when I'll actually get there now that I'm back at work again and also taking mm-hmm. care of a baby at the same time. Um, but so uh, there's a scene and Kirk, you might remember this. You when you are in the seventh and and final palace of the game um 
and it is uh it's the one it's the ship one you might remember um there's a section uh, yes. towards mm-hmm. the end of it where like you fight a boss a mini boss and then you or you do some stuff you fight a mini boss there isn't really a clear indication that the mini boss is coming and there's no save point before it so you're already yep. kind of like oh man like i haven't saved in a while if i die now i might lose a bunch of progress and then right and after remember that this you're very like well. escaping and then you fight another boss and at this point you're like you have this pit you're this feeling that in your gut that's like yep. oh man like if i lose here i'm gonna lose like upwards of an hour of progress because this game although in royal you can actually restart a battle if it's a boss battle um some of the fights like standard fights you can't and if you die in a standard fight you will lose progress and then persona 5 or all the persona all the shimigami tensei games are super cheap in that if your protagonist dies even if the rest of your party is alive yeah. you'll still get a game over which really really sucks in a lot of ways um <laughs> what Especially because there are instant death spells. Is that there like, are instant death spells that can just like come out of nowhere and there are that. spells that will kill you instantly if you fail a saving yeah. roll. Yeah. And so I had had this experience of the boss of Palace 6 somehow killed me like a dozen times. And I was so pissed off at the game for so long. And it was just like the <laughs> dumbest ways to die. All these cheap shots. And I was extremely mad at the game. So I had this this feeling in, the, in the, my gut that was just like a pit in my stomach. I was just like, oh, man, like if I lose here. And I was thinking about this. I beat it and, and was fine. I did not lose any progress. But I was thinking about how losing progress in video games, I have such... Like mixed feelings about it because on one hand, it, just knowing that you can lose progress creates this tension in a game that is unlike anything else because it just raises the stakes to the point where battles feel like just so much more high pressure and like it can be even more satisfying to beat them because they're like, yeah, man, I got past this. Like, don't have to worry about losing my progress. Like, man, I'm I'm mm-hmm. so happy about this. And there are few, there aren't a lot of other ways to raise the stakes in a video game because if you don't. Lose progress and then you die then like what happens you just start again you like maybe it knocks a couple of experience points off you or something but like without losing progress there's really no way to punish uh the player for dying um but uh if you and and if you don't punish the player for dying then it doesn't really matter if you die like worse comes to worse you just start again and give it another try and so it's interesting and it's like this constant battle i'm sure in game design land of like setting the stakes and do you really want to feel that but then again if you die and you lose all that progress you're going to be so pissed at the game for wasting your time so like the exchange for that tension and the 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 good aspects of that tension is that like i would be fucking pissed like my gaming time is so limited i was already so pissed about that boss bite getting all those cheap shots and killing me if if i felt like i lost an hour and a half of progress because i died in some stupid way i might not go back to the game so i'm curious to hear both of your takes on this issue and like whether losing progress should be a thing in games like how you feel about it in general i really don't enjoy losing progress in a Mm -hmm. game i it's not even just an age thing i don't think i ever enjoyed it when a game did this to me even when i was a child and i had theoretically infinite time well but hold on i'm not saying nobody enjoys losing progress of course but i'm saying that even in the circumstances where i was like oh i finally made it i don't prefer that and now as an adult i'm so thankful that stuff like metroid has save states where you don't 
have to redo everything you just did because you died against a boss and like you you don't have to like recollect whatever you got you can just be like oh cool i just found an energy tank here let me just click the save state button and it's fine and i don't have to go all the way back to the save point with samus i don't have to worry about it and there's so many old games that relied so much on that and i mean persona 5 isn't an old game but it's still a game that relies on what i consider to be a pretty old school mechanic in games which is like there's a certain number of places where you can save and you just have to deal with those and in replaying final fantasy 7 the original i'm dealing with that again because i am not using save states or anything i'm just going to the save points and saving the game mm-hmm. <laughs> and being like wow yeah this is uh how this game works <laughs> at least it has a fast forward button at least the new versions yes. have fast forward it does and it has the and also the you can turn you off can and turn Turn off. Yes, I've turned off encounters. It's true. Nice. I've done it. I'm not interested in encounters anymore. That's smart. But yeah, I just, it's, I don't enjoy losing progress. I don't find it to be a satisfying feeling. And I think it's really impressive and cool when a game can find other ways to raise the stakes for you that don't involve something like that, either by just having a lot of complicated mechanics or interesting ones. Like part of why I like Kirby games, even though death doesn't matter in Kirby games, is because usually they have a really fun mechanic. And that's what keeps you playing and interested it's it's just the fact that it's fun for kirby to turn into different stuff and yes death is meaningless in a kirby game but i still enjoy it because i'm enjoying the game i i guess i just that's my that's my take what do you death think is kirby? meaningless when you're kirby <laughs> kirby has infinite power he's fine no matter what i agree that death is meaningless when you're kirby yeah i wrote an article about this um we can link it in show notes it's called five ways video games make failure matter this is back in 2018 mm. i wrote this for kotaku and talked about this, Jason, where I think that my least favorite is the one that you mentioned where you just lose time. That mm-hmm. to me is just annoying. Like when I'm, it was, this was Gravity Rush 2 is what I mentioned because I reviewed that game and there's a lot of questionable that? checkpointing in that game. Just where you die and you're like, oh, it's not just the beginning of the boss fight. It's the whole huge like five minute thing getting to the boss and it doesn't feel thoughtful. It's just like they just put the checkpoint too far back i hate that like i hate when it feels like yeah i've lost a huge boss rush and i have to do the whole thing again um something i value in ff7 remake actually is how if you die in a boss fight that's like three phases in it'll Mm -hmm. sometimes say to you do you want to start the whole fight over again or do you just want to start this phase and that's Mm -hmm. very nice like i appreciate any time a game just brings me up to where i just was but I do like um, the way that like Dark Souls makes you risk your XP, the way that right. those games are clever about saying, well, you want to go in here and try to get this thing, you're going to drop down and you're not going to be able to climb back out. So you'll have to fight your way out. But that's what you get for like trying to get the fast way to this glowy item. And they kind of punish <laughs> you, but also mess with you and reward you in cool ways that then makes you feel really exhilarated when you make it out. And mm-hmm. if you die and lose your XP, you don't lose it forever. You do get to go get it back. There are other things like that. I was like, I'm looking through this article, Splatoon 2, I'm remembering like places where you'll spend a limited amount of currency and then you only have that one shot to like make good on that currency which can be Mm. pretty stressful i like that sometimes but i don't like it other times the thing i don't like in souls games is where i don't like it when you use your items and then each time you use an item you're like this better friggin work because if i die on this boss attempt and i use my last like whatever like fireball spell or something like I'm not going to have it next time. So it's going to make the game harder after I fail. That stresses me out, even though it's like a way of making you feel like you're risking something. You're like, I just used that firebomb. So better make this count. And then you invariably choke and die. And then you're even more mad at yourself. So Uh that can also be a bummer. 
But, um, you know, I, I'm generally, I, I'm okay with games giving you a sense of real consequences, like, quote, real, unquote. But I don't like the wasted time thing either. So I'm definitely with you on that, Jason. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. There's something to be said. Both of you disagree with this, but I think there's something to be said about that <laughs> tension that you feel when you're playing through set. Like, just having that, that those stakes... Like, nothing you described compares to the stakes of knowing if I don't beat this boss, I will lose an hour of progress. I will lose an hour of I think life. you could even make people think that and then pleasantly surprise them if they die with the fact that they're not really going to lose an hour. Like, I think there are other ways you can create that tension without actually... Well, that's Persona 5 Royal does that to some extent yeah. because, like I mentioned, on bosses, you can now restart the battle instead of having mm-hmm. to go back to, to your save point. Um, okay, cool. Well, so I believe that is it for this week's episode yeah, keep is. an eye out if hey. you are a subscriber for the final fantasy 7 remake beans cast coming soon and we will see you all next week yep see you both next week bye Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.